You are now listening to the MS podcast by Sanofi Genzyme. In this podcast, the brain takes center stage when Ole Petteriella, best-selling author and professional speaker, explores the different dimensions of MS and brain health through conversations with international specialists within neuroscience, psychology and physical activity. In previous episodes, we have covered brain atrophy in terms of brain volume and brain health. But what hides behind the structures of our brain, into the core of the thalamus? Thalamic atrophy measurements have existed for a long time. But within MS, it's quite new to look into the thalamic atrophy, also as a biomarker. In this episode, we will dive into how knowledge within thalamic atrophy measurements can be implemented into clinical practice. To help us do that, we have the pleasure of having Christina Granciera from Switzerland with us. Welcome, Christina. Thank you. What can you tell us about thalamic atrophy that occurs in early stages of MS that may be news to the neurological community? So we know that uh, multiple sclerosis is an inflammatory and also neurodegenerative disease and that uh, the neurodegenerative part starts quite early from the onset of the disease. What we also know is that neurodegeneration is uh, occurring everywhere in the brain. And what we have noticed over the years, thanks to a number of studies that have been performed, is that deep gray matter structures, in particular the thalamus, are one of the first parts of the brain that are starting showing signs of uh, uh, atrophy and neurodegeneration. This is particularly uh, meaningful because uh, we know that the thalamus is a central structure in the brain where a lot of inputs go to and uh, starts from. And degeneration in the thalamus is very well explained by the overall activity of the disease. Indeed, it's determined by the white matter lesion burden, by the local microstructural damage that occurs in the gray matter structures and white matter structures of the thalamus, but also by retrograde and anterograde diffuse axonal injury. Over the years, we also understood that uh, thalamic atrophy is present across all the stages of MS, but also that uh, it starts very early. Uh, and I'm speaking also about the pre-MS stages, the uh, clinical isolated syndrome stages. And thalamic atrophy, so the loss of volume over time in the thalamus, occurs with a percentage which is around 0.6-0.7%. And this is very similar in uh, between the clinical isolated syndrome the relapsing remitting phase and also the progressive phase. So I would say that uh, thanks to the to a couple of pivotal studies, we are now aware that thalamic atrophy occurs. It occurs across all stages, but also starts very early in the disease course. Yeah, so it actually starts before clinical symptoms are present. It may start before clinical symptoms are present. I mean, as I said, it's the result of certain pathological processes in the disease. And the thalamus is a small structure, so changes in volume in these small structures become evident very early. At the In early stages, we have compensatory mechanisms that most probably prevent some of the symptoms and signs to uh, become evident. That's why often we observe thalamic atrophy without a correlate at the clinical level. But it's also the thalamic atrophy, does it precede the whole brain volume loss? It appears that 
Yes, it's one of the first structures that is losing volume during the so in the in an MS patient, together with some other deep gray matter structures like the uh, pallidus, globus pallidus, like epitamen and the caudate. So it's uh, as I said, it's a very small structure and it's a very central one. Therefore, it makes sense that it's one of the first suffering from the neurodegenerative process that is characterizing the MS disease, and indeed it precedes the global brain atrophy, which uh, requires a certain time after disease onset to become evident uh, because we are speaking about the entire brain. Um, and the volumetric loss of a big structure is, of course, developing slower than a volumetric loss of a small structure. Exactly. So measurements of thalamic atrophy may be a more sensitive measure than whole brain volume loss. Yes. I mean, this is one of the consequences of what I just said, is that since it appears to be pathophysiologically one of the first structures that is showing signs of sufferance in terms of volume loss, it may also be a target of uh, for measurements that are aiming at uh, providing uh, early biomarkers of disease impact. Of course, this comes with some uh, technical challenges because the smaller the structure, the more difficult it is to have a consistent uh, measurement, a reproducible measurement. But in principle, it's one of the structures that uh, may be used for an early detection of disease, of ongoing neurodegenerative uh, processes and disease activity. Can you say something about the cause of the thalamic atrophy, the pathophysiology? So as I mentioned, I think the pathophysiology is summarizing a bit the pathophysiology of MS. So the thalamus becomes atrophic. So we have a loss in volume in the thalamus because the tracts that are connected to the thalamus, which are numerous and they're originating from various parts of the brain, they're affected by white matter lesions or gray matter lesions, if we consider the pathology of the cortex. So this is one source of uh, thalamic atrophy, is the sufferance of the tracts which are going to the thalamus or starting from the thalamus. In addition to that, of course, there is not only the sufferance of this uh, of these tracts, but also the anterograde and retrograde axonal injury, which originates from these focal damage areas, so these lesions in the gray matter and white matter, but also that originates through the diffuse processes that are occurring in the brain of a mass patients. So we have at the time a local axonal injury due to lesions and a diffuse axonal injury. And last but not least, uh, there are also local processes. So uh, the thalamus itself, it's a region where there is uh, focal inflammation in terms of uh, local lesions, but also diffuse inflammation. So it's some studies demonstrated. So there are multiple processes that contribute to thalamic atrophy in MS patients. Could you elaborate a little bit on the association of thalamic atrophy with disability and cognitive dysfunction in MS patients? Yes. So we know that the thalamus is a pretty complex structure. It's a structure that it's, is involved in um, motor function. It's involved in uh, cognitive processes. It's involved in visual processes. So the different nuclei in the thalamus are uh, pivotal to the overall function of the brain. Uh, and this explains the relationship that has been shown between the pathological processes occurring in the thalamus and, and thalamic atrophy with disability and cognitive performance. 
Indeed, there are a number of studies that over the last uh, years showed that there is a correlation between the atrophy developing in the thalamus and the accumulation of both short and long-term disability. And there are very nice works from the Milano group, for example, or Professor Tivadinov that showed these uh, strong correlations. In addition to that, we know also that uh, some specific thalamic nuclei are related to disability, and this makes totally sense if we consider that there is a compartmentalization of the function, meaning that some of the nuclei are subserving motor functions, some others are more involved in cognitive circuits and functions. Uh, so some nuclei are uh, the major determinant of the relationship between thalamic atrophy and disability in MS patients. What we also know, and what is extremely important, important is that some thalamic nuclei are involved, as I said, in cognitive functions. And we saw that there is a relationship between thalamic atrophy and uh, cognitive deficits in MS patients. And this happens already at very early disease stages. And I'm saying it's pretty important because one of the challenges we face in the clinic is the assessment of cognition and cognitive deficits in our MS patients, especially at very early disease stages. And this is mainly because the cognitive assessment takes a certain time, which is not compatible with our routine clinical slots. Therefore, if you have a surrogate marker of uh, cognitive impairment is, of course, something extremely appealing also for clinical practice. And some works have shown that uh, there is a pretty strong relationship between thalamic volume loss normalized, of course, for the size of the brain of the patient and the performances in working memory and executive function, for example. So this is one of the cognitive functions that seems to be mostly related to thalamic pathology. Then there are some other very interesting work that uh, show that the connections between the cortex and the thalamus, when they are affected, their uh, affection or their pathology is related to uh, cognitive dysfunction in MS patients. And this again makes sense if we consider the anatomy of the thalamus and the anatomy of the circuits that are involved in cognitive functions in the normal brain. Therefore, I mean, because of its nature, because of its anatomy, the thalamus uh, uh, appears to be a structure that it's not only sensitive to MS pathology at very early stages, but also sensitive to the monitoring or to performance, the clinical performance of MS patients, both uh, at the disability level, uh, the motor function level, and the cognitive performance. So in other words, uh, measurements of thalamic atrophy is a valuable biomarker in the clinic when it comes to disease progression and its association with disability and cognitive dysfunction in these patients. Well, I mean, it depends what we uh, define as a biomarker. I mean, if I keep in mind the definition, if we define as a biomarker, a structure or a metric, which is sensitive to the pathological process of a disease. In this case, I think the thalamus, as we said before, fulfills this criteria. So it is a structure which is sensitive to pathological processes typical of MS. So this is the first criteria which is fulfilled. The second criteria is that this metric, so thalamic atrophy in the specific case needs to be related to the clinical outcome in a patient with a certain disease. And as I mentioned before, there are multiple demonstrations, multiple works 
that show that thalamic loss of volume is related to both disability and cognitive performance because of the reasons that I told you before. The third point, the criteria to fulfill the definition of a biomarker is the response to treatment. And this, I think, at the present, we are not there yet. So the thalamus has not yet been shown to be sensitive to treatment effects, despite there are some initial works that are pointing at the fact that they may be. So I think before defining, if we consider this definition of biomarker that I mentioned before with these three main points, I think the thalamus well fulfills the first two criteria and it's on the way to fulfill the third one, but this has still to be demonstrated. Sanofi Genzyme is a proud sponsor of the Global MS Brain Health Initiative, where the aim is to maximize lifelong brain health for people living with MS, creating a better future for everyone affected by the disease. The initiative calls for greater urgency at every stage from diagnosing, treating and managing MS. Time matters in MS. Read more about the initiative at msbrainhealth.org. Can you tell us a little bit about the different ways we have to measure thalamic atrophy in a research setting? So there are, there are multiple ways of measuring thalamic atrophy. So as we know, there are different types of softwares that have been tested and validated for measuring whole brain atrophy. And uh, most of those softwares are also providing measures of uh, brain structures, volumes, and volume changes over time, so atrophy. Their drawback of all these softwares, if I speak from a clinical point of view, is the fact that it's not realistic or it's not feasible to implement those measures in a clinical routine settings, meaning that to perform certain analysis, let's say with, with a very well-known free surface software, we need to perform the analysis offline, and which requires not only time, but also a certain setting. There are, however, other realities that are being developed at the present time where it is attempted to integrate this uh, volumetric measurement, including the measurements of the thalamus, in a clinical routine setting. So I'm thinking there, there are different types of efforts in this respect. One which I deem personally very meaningful is the attempt to integrate volumetric measurement in the scanner so that when we produce the images, we can also very quickly produce some uh, analysis or some volumetric estimations of the different structures in the brain. And this helps quite a lot to have quantification of what is the volume of different structures in the brain, including the thalamus. So I was lucky in this situation to to experience or to use some of these measurements in my clinical practice. Uh, and what I can say is that it's really giving a certain level of confidence because we not only get numbers of volumes and volume changes over time in our single patients, uh, but we also get the possibility to assess if the segmentation of specific structures have been performed in a certain level of quality. And what I noticed is that indeed what I mentioned before, this information from the from the research uh, community that thalamic atrophy is one of the first to develop compared to brain atrophy and other structures atrophy. It's indeed true if we consider these single measurements in single patients. So often we see that the thalamus or thalamic volume is decreasing compared to a range of volumes established in healthy controls. And this occurs very early in MS patients. What I'm saying is that it's 
nowadays possible uh, to have some metrics referring to thalamic volume and atrophy in the clinic. This, I just gave you an example, but there are other examples that we can cite. The big question is now what those metrics really mean for our clinical practice. And this is still an unanswered question. So far, it's good to see that what has been presented at the group level is also true or mostly true for the single patient level. And I'm referring to this fact that thalamic atrophy or loss in volume is one of the first to become apparent in uh, in the MS in the course of MS disease so this in my personal experience i can see that it's really applicable to single patients what we still do not know is how to use these single patients measurements to monitor patients evolution to judge uh, therapeutic effects so there more effort needs to be needs to be devoted to answer those questions Okay, so I understand there are some challenges and limitations in translating this from a research setting to the clinical setting, but would it be possible for you to elaborate a little bit more on how you use this in your own clinical practice by presenting a case? Yes, as I said, one aspect of this the availability of these measurements in the clinic is that we as neurologists, but also our colleague radiologists can get experience about what these numbers that are provided really can mean. And one of the conclusions or one of the points that I wanted to make before and that I'm making again is that gaining experience means that we also gain confidence in the value of these numbers. So this is one of the first implications of having these numbers available in clinical practice. How do I use it? As I said, it's premature to use these numbers to monitor patients' evolution and to judge on treatment effects because we don't have enough evidence uh, from the research side, which will come, but at the present we don't. However, it's extremely important that the patients are aware of, of the course of the disease. So at the very early stage of MS, some patients who have the chance to have a mild disease course do not realize that uh, MS is a chronic disease, which we can slow down, but which we cannot the present not treat. And this is mainly because they are affected, but affected in a way that is not clinically evident or it's not evident for the patients in the everyday life. So they don't feel sick. I'm a neurologist with a, with a neuroimaging background. So I, I usually like to show patients images and to show them what the disease really does to the, to the brain structure in terms not only of lesions, but also of uh, volumetric changes. And what I've noticed is that Showing the patients not only the image, but also a number which is related to the uh, volume of a certain structure of the entire brain is something that the patients can really understand. So understanding the way that they understand that the disease is there, despite they don't feel a deficit, despite they feel they don't feel sick. Um, and it happened to me that, I mean, I'm one of the uh, neurologists who believe in the early treatment and in the uh, necessity to convince the patients that if we treat early, we can at least slow down this disease and guarantee a better quality of life for the, for the future years. Therefore, I'm normally trying to convince the patients that treating early despite they don't feel sick is a fundamental lesson that we have learned over the years. Sometimes 
it's challenging. And that's where I use these thalamic volumes or also volume measurements over the other structures of the brain. So it happened to me, for example, uh, as I said before, the thalamus is becoming atrophic very early. So this tool that I was mentioning before gives us thalamic measurements punctually every six months or every year when we perform an MRI to follow up the patient's course. And these measurements are compared to a, to a normative range, to an interval of measurements that have been performed in uh, healthy individuals and matched for age to the age of the patient. So what we have is like a blood test. We have a number for the thalamus volume and the, 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 the other structures of the brain volume. And then we have a reference interval, which is a good reference interval for that specific patient. And when patients realize that uh, over the years, their volumetric measurements are getting lower towards low part of the range and below the range, then, of course, for them, it's um, a way of realizing that the disease is there despite they don't feel any deficits. And this can well be so that the pathology is developing without the patients feeling it. And we had, I mean, I had a couple of examples that I'm thinking about, but one main example was this this patient who luckily has a, seemingly a mild form of MS at the present, but she's a very young patient and she refused treatment for a long time. Since the diagnosis, she never wanted to consider or even uh, get information about treatment. So the fact that I showed her the lesions and the images was impacting her. She got, I think, a certain understanding of the disease, but this was not enough. And after a couple of meetings I had with her and discussions I had with her, I showed also these these volumetric measurements. And I think this was the key for her to change at least attitude. So when she saw that uh, the thalamus and uh, the, the nucleus caudate were getting below the range of interval with these numbers and these little stars, it's, it's exactly like a blood test. The patient did not change her mind, but what she did is, at least she asked for information. She wanted to be informed about uh, options. Uh, she wanted to be informed about uh, the different uh, characteristics of the treatments that were indicated for her and so on, which for me, uh, it means a certain a step forward in the understanding and acceptance of this disease, which would lead to a certain consequent attitude towards the disease. So to summarize, what I've uh, tried to say is that currently we can use these numbers of these uh, measurements that show early atrophy, like thalamic atrophy, in a way that we can render the patients aware of the disease course, that the disease is there, that we don't have to underestimate it, and that we have to act as early as possible. What will come, so how we will use these measurements and the specific thalamic atrophy measurements in the clinic in the next year, at the present, it's very difficult to predict, but um, my hope is that we will have uh, enough uh, evidence from the research field that will tell us how we can, uh, A, use these thalamic atrophy measurements to monitor early in the course the development of the disease in our single MS patients, and B, how we can use these measurements to monitor treatment effects. To summarize or to round off here, can you give the clinicians out there some concrete takeaways at the end, how you see how thalamic atrophy measurements, for instance, can be used to preserve patient functioning in the long term? 
So I think everything starts from being aware that there is a structure in the brain that is sensitive to MS pathology. So very sensitive also at very early disease stages. So this is the knowledge that we gain over the years through the research efforts. Second, we need, so me and my colleagues need to be aware that it's possible to measure atrophy also at very early stages. And so this effects on neurodegeneration in this disease also at very early stages. And I gave some examples about how in certain settings it's possible to have these numbers and these references. I think myself and my colleagues are also to notice and to be aware of the fact that we are not that we still need to learn. And it's important that we learn also by practicing and by getting experience with these numbers. And what we need to learn and what we need to establish are cutoff values. So when when is this volume really pathological? So these cutoff values are still uh, required and we are working towards these in the research field with the, with the goal of translating it to the clinical practice. And then something very important, which I hope will come in the um, very near future, is the assessment of therapeutical effects on thalamic atrophy. Because if we know that thalamic atrophy is really a biomarker, so fulfills also the third point that I mentioned before, then of course we will have a measure that is feasible in clinical practice that is also that may be also useful to monitor how our patients are evolving on therapy. Well, I'm really looking forward to seeing how these uh, measurements of thalamic atrophy can be, in the future, translated into the clinic for, uh, for the better of our patients. Thank you very much for a very fascinating talk, Christina. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the MS Podcast by Sanofi Genzyme. <laughs>